0: I am Vengeance. I am the Knight. I am also a
1: podcast. cast. Part 2. I am a Podcast. Podcast.
2: Podcast. Podcast. Whoa! Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, oh, I can tell you that it is a podcast about that man a bad bed. What did you want me to say in this part? It's a show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am a
1: podcast. Whoa. Whoa. Hey.
2: Interviews with fans and people. People. Who
1: Show. Podcast. Podcast.
0: Hello and welcome to Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm Justin Michael and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears about the legendary 1990s cartoon Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, the Gotham City Natural History Museum. Come see dinosaur fossils the way they were meant to be seen, as a pile of bones destroyed by a superhero fight. Now, obviously, today's episode is Catwalk, an awesome ventriloquist, Scarface, Catwoman team-up, sort of, Uh, but before we get to that, I just wanted to say rate and subscribe the podcast in iTunes if you haven't, Uh, it really helps out a lot. And here's a thing. This week is San Diego Comic-Con. I'm sure a bunch of you are going. And if you are, please make sure to go to the DC Collectibles panel at 10 a.m. on Thursday for a first look at a secret little Batman the Animated Series project that I worked on. I would love for you guys to be there. I can't say what it is, but... Oh boy, after Thursday, I'm sure I'll be telling y'all about it and everybody will get a chance to see it, but uh, you'll get the first look at it Thursday, 10 a.m., the DC Collectibles panel. It's going to be great. Now, I mean, as you guys know from last episode, I'm actually in the middle of a quest, so I'm, I'm kind of podcasting on the go. I'm just getting to a cave right now where I'm supposed to meet some sort of ghost witch, so... Ooh. Hello? Hello? Hey,
1: is anybody there? Maybe.
0: That sounds like a definitely. Uh, My name's Justin, I'm on a PodQuest cast, and I'm here to see the ghost witch.
1: Then you've come to the right place, for I am the ghost witch.
0: Where are you? Right. Here. Oh God, Jesus!
1: <laughs> yeah, what's up? Welcome to my spooky ass cave.
0: Wait, you're the ghost witch? No, doy, my boy. Sorry, you just don't look anything like a witch. I mean, where's your pointy nose and hat and broom and? Oh,
1: oh no, 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 no! I am the ghost uh, of a sandwich, so uh, therefore I'm a I'm a ghost witch, huh? A ghost witch, baby! Get it? I see. I've got all the best ingredients ghost sourdough bread, ghost onions, ghost red leaf lettuce, got some ghost turkey, oven ghosted, mind you.
0: Look, I'm here for a PodQuest cast! PodQuest cast, part two. The PodQuest cast, PodQuest continues.
1: Oh, a PodQuest cast, huh? Oh, so you've heard of it? No, that's a crazy made up word. I wanted to be
0: cool. Well, I mean, this might help. Hey, booming narrator voice. Previously on PodQuestCast.
1: It's me, your brassy, magical talking microphone. I need the golden XLR cable. Travel to the ghost witch's house. She will guide you from there. Help me, Justin Michael. You're my only hope. Microfina out. Oh, Microfina, yeah. She liked the cut of your wiener?
0: No. No, she did not.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can't win them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what do we talk about now? What are you doing here in my sandwich cave? <laughs>
0: well, she said you might have the golden XLR cable to help save her life. I mean, otherwise, this podcast is finished.
1: Ooh. Yes, I've got that. Let me just go through some of my. Oh, where is it? I saw it. I did see it. Uh, here we go. Digging through. Oh, nope, nope, nope. That is a dead cow. Ew. You, um, you kill some time while I rummage around for it. Okay,
0: well, uh, while well, my new spectral buddy, uh, the Ghost Witch is looking around, I'd say it's time we got to. Today's episode Catwalk. Anxious to take up her old ways as Catwoman, Selina Kyle joins forces with the ventriloquist and Scarface to humiliate socialite Veronica Vreeland. But the real victim is Catwoman herself, who is secretly set up by Scarface to take the fall for another robbery. Batman has to intercede before the furious feline makes things worse by killing the double-talking ventriloquist. Original air date, September 13th, 1995, written by Paul Dini, directed by Boyd Kirkland, music by today's guest, Christopher Carter, animation by Dong Yang. We've got Adrian Barbeau as Catwoman, George Zunza I don't know how to pronounce that, as the ventriloquist, Earl Bowen as Rhino, and Mary Lou Henner as Veronica, I'm a horrible human being through and through Vreeland. The animation is clean and on model, the writing's great, and it's just a fun and unusual team up to boot. I mean, the opening Catwoman flashback sequence is just another example of what made this show a cut above the rest. It's a bold choice to kick things off in your episode with a stylized flashback, but I think it works really well. This feels like the quintessential Batman versus Catwoman fight. It perfectly sums up their emotional relationship and does so with kind of a dreamy, expressionistic direction. This honestly could be any time they've ever fought, or this one specific time. Speaking of the direction, Boyd Kirkland really nails it. Everything feels clean and perfectly timed. This episode felt a little Spielbergy to me, honestly. In terms of editing, it feels like we linger on each shot for just the right amount of time before cutting away. The right Writing has a great pulpy noir snappiness to the dialogue. You can tell Deni just kind of delights in living in this world, and he's got a knack for writing Selena Kyle. This is definitely helped along by Adrian Barbeau's smoky, smooth voice. Catwoman really feels like a 1950s take on a 30s dame straight out of Sunset Boulevard. God, I don't even know how you would interpret what that meant. Anyway, I mean, Dini's just the perfect guy to take on Scarface. This might be Catwoman's story, but he still manages to cram some wonderful, creepy, and tragic moments into the ventriloquist, helping to make this weird rogue a memorable one. Overall, this feels like one of the strongest Catwoman episodes in the series, which I kind of forget because it has such a high-concept idea of a team-up slapped on top. What's Catwoman's Endgame? Is she truly reformed? We're in Batman's shoes and along for the ride until the last minute and rooting for her to do the right thing. So, I guess if there's anything negative I have to say about the episode, it's just that the title card doesn't really hold up to some of the earlier stuff. Uh, it looks like a treated screen cap. Obviously, the music here is excellent, and we'll be getting to that in the interview very soon. How very soon? How about right now, very soon? Today's fan, Casey Trela. Casey's a good buddy of mine and a wonderful singer and musician to boot. He leads the band Hi-Ho He also plays with Dark Rooms. Additionally, he's composed music for many animated projects, including my very own series, Friendship, All Stars of Friendship. And he's the guy that you hear singing most of the animated theme song to this podcast. So you can thank him for helping me with that. He also had a hand in creating music for that aforementioned super secret Comic-Con reveal happening on Thursday at the DCC panel. So there you go. Today's guest... Christopher Carter. Christopher Carter is an Emmy and Annie nominated musician. He scored this episode of Batman the Animated Series along with pretty much every other show in the DC Animated Universe and is the man responsible for the Batman Beyond theme. He's also worked on Young Justice, Scooby-Doo, Ben 10, a bunch of other stuff. He's a member of the Dynamic Music Partners. He was also a really chill, nice guy. So let's just get into it. we are we're talking about catwalk i'm sitting across from casey trela and christopher carter also goes by chris uh we how are you guys (laughs) i already can't
3: ask a question super super this is a great opportunity i'm really happy to be sitting down with both of you
0: yeah i'm so excited to have you on the show i mean uh you're one of the composers for batman the animated series new batman adventures as well as many many more shows in the dc animated universe and beyond that uh And Casey, you are a fan of Batman, as well as like a musician yourself.
2: Yeah, both of those things.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I I figured we could maybe kick it off by talking about what you love about Batman, because Chris, before we got on microphone, you were saying that you started as a fan of the series.
3: Oh, absolutely. I, I think we all agree that Batman the Animated Series kind of changed the genre of superhero cartoons. and. When it began, I was actually still in college. And so I would be in the common room with my other my roommates, my other college friends, and we would just we were just geeking out over this great series and then its take on the dark night and the darker tone of the stories and of course the being a composer, I was like so into the music as
0: well. Yeah, the music was such a strong component of the series. I think it's like everything was such high quality, like the animation, the voice acting, the writing, but the music really stands out especially for me and i think especially for like kids like it really resonates like you soak that up even more than anything else like tremendously yeah i remember as a non-musical kid (laughs) i would do action figure shows for whatever my parents and anybody else who would watch it in my house like my sister was bored to death but uh i would try to emulate the music with like i would you know do the villainous themes and stuff uh And it sounded terrible compared to what it actually is. But, like, that stuck. Like, if you could play, like, one of the villain's motifs, I would know which one it is. Which I think is a testament to the show and to me being OCD. (laughs) Do you remember what the first episode was that you watched?
3: Oh, gosh. Not at all.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or did you have a favorite before you worked on the show or ones that stood out?
3: Well, what's interesting is, as much as I liked the show, I did not actually grow up reading comics. So, in a way what attracted me to this show kind of opened this whole door to superhero you know the animated superhero world in in the first place and so it just kind of washed over me like this this you know amazing feeling of of superhero and dark and, and just the storytelling was very exciting for me so even though i wasn't as familiar with you know the uh, the whole dc universe and maybe some of the characters and how they were animating this particular villain it just it was all very exciting oh man so
0: what uh... What, what How old were you when you when it came out? you were in college
3: I was probably uh eighteen nineteen perfect age. <laughs> Casey when did you first see the show?
2: uh this show I was in third grade i think <laughs> uh, uh but i was I was like a doogie Hauser kind of kid, so I was also in college. And this is a true fact. Yeah, this is a true fact. Uh, No, I, uh, yeah, I was in third grade and yeah, this is just like a great, it felt really nice to have access to Batman because I had seen the Adam West show and then uh, the movie came out and I just was really hungry for any Batman that I could like get my hands on. And then to have a version that was like made for me uh, felt so good to like come home from school and have something to make my imagination uh, work for a little while after school,
3: yeah. <laughs> well, you said the Batman movie, I mean... Yeah, the, like the Tim Burton But then uh, you're going Batman. back to, like, the original, the Adam West Batman. Did, right. did Super Friends at all enter into your uh, sphere? No, I don't think
2: so. I don't think Super Friends uh, was in my vocabulary. Super Friends was in my
0: vocabulary because of my uncle, and he used to show it to, I loved Super... It was like, I ate it up until Batman the Animated Series came Are those out. There's, like,
2: the max
0: is that no you know, Max Fleischer, Max Fleischer that was much earlier Super was okay. like kind of 70s I believe and it was like you know, like meanwhile in the Hall of
2: Justice kind of Okay, you I, know, think poof, I, did. <laughs> I had a Max Fleischer uh, VHS oh. version of Superman that I watched a lot I rewatched those so much as a kid I mean yeah. they're beautiful <laughs> yeah they're so cool and a lot of
0: the style was, you know, pulled from that and modified for the original Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, yeah. I think Bruce Timm's original designs were even more fleasher-y. Uh Like, it, you can find them online and they're really cool looking. Cool. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's, let's move on. So,
3: like, how did you get involved with the series? And was this, like, one of your first jobs? Um, it actually was probably my first... Uh, it was my first job in Hollywood. Um, I graduated from college in 1994 And where did you go to college? The University of North Texas. Mm -hmm. And uh, I played in the orchestra with a young man. Uh, I played the double bass, the stand-up bass. And I played the orchestra with a young man named Ian Walker, who happens to be Shirley's son. Shirley Walker, the supervising composer's son. And when I asked him, um, oh, your mom's Shirley Walker, do you think I could meet her? And he said, no, <laughs> He said, Man, everybody wants to meet my mom. I can't just, I can't do that for you. Um, there's just too much, there's too much people that want to work with him, her. And so I continued to build my resume. This is earlier in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I built my portfolio and resume doing uh, student films. I had done uh, an independent feature film that was shot in the Dallas area. And uh, Did I had, you grow up in Texas? I grew up in Texas, actually in a small town uh, called San Angelo in okay. West Texas. And um went to college in Denton in the Dallas area in North Texas and I always uh, pulled from the you know the student orchestra my friends to play on my scores uh, because using live instruments is is really it's it's really important. It's important to feel the the air moving and it's just something that a living, breathing human being can bring to music that you just can't get with synthesizers. And so I made it a, big, a point to always record, and I always made it a point to use Ian Walker on the bass. <laughs> and um, as he heard what I was doing, he said, you know, I think maybe you, you are uh, maybe your, your music would be interesting to my mom. I'll, uh, I'll, make, uh, I'll make an introduction. And so he took a tape of mine, a cassette tape, long time ago cassette you know oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I have many I have many cassettes yeah, yeah. a lot of memories um, they've just disappeared haven't they it's yeah. amazing
0: I feel like um, they'll come back in like a retroy sort of way yeah. like vinyl has we've done the vinyl thing now
3: we got to go yeah. back to cassette right.
2: now they're making a comeback yeah. are they really yeah the punk scene is real hot on, on uh, passing out cassettes right after shows Excellent. or something or, just... uh, or selling them for more money
3: uh, than they would
2: have
0: before. That's crazy. I guess now I'm finally seeing why my mom's like, why do you want a
3: vinyl? And I'm going to be like, why do you want cassettes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So he, he sent a, a tape to her, and she did, in fact, uh, respond favorably to it. So um, a couple of weeks after I graduated, I got a phone call, and, and the person on the line was Shirley Walker, and she said, how soon can you come out to L.A.? And I said, um, next week. <laughs> so I packed everything up into my uh, pickup truck at the time. And I drove out to LA, and um, I actually began work as her apprentice. She hired me to be an apprentice and um, kind of step into this world that she had created because she, unlike uh, it's she's so unique in her ability or her desire to help young composers get started. Um, and she used Batman the Animated series as 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 a chance for composers to get their first credit. To get experience working on something that uh, was was fairly high profile, that had an orchestra, that um, was doing scoring the right way,
0: you know. And she what was, is the right way?
3: Well, it's you know, there's
0: because um, I would agree that like this, it <laughs> seems like there's a particular like it, there's quality, yes, that comes from the way
3: that it was scored, and and I guess I'm curious to. Well, she. She obviously is somebody that was working at the, kind of the upper echelons of the business, and she saw how things were budgeted, how they were executed, what resources you needed to have, what things you had to have in place, the processes that you had to go through, the team you had to have assembled to really do a score of, of that quality. And she mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that the people that she brought into the business were aware of those traditions to carry them along. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think there's sometimes if there are people that are coming into the business that don't know what. What has been done in the past and ways to do things the most efficiently, and they can end up kind of skewing the the, the way the, the business works. I think by mm-hmm. kind of doing things their own way, and and um, so she she wanted you to, to to really fit into you know the the proper way to, to do things at, at that level and um that's so cool it, it yeah. really was it was quite amazing to see it happen and um so i just i stepped in i kind of was looking just over the you know over the ledge <laughs> saying this is so amazing and i hope that i can you know pr- proceed in this but you had to get started she made it very clear that you were working on her show and you needed to uh, follow her sound and um you know it's great that you have your own thing you want to do but if you're working on the show you have to follow the the path that i've established um, you were mentioning about the themes, how you could hum each of the villains' themes. The show was very theme centric, and in fact, mm. every single character had a theme. And Shirley, as the supervising composer, would, would write those, those themes, and then we were, uh, you know, she would give them, send them to us on a piece of score paper, and we had to refer to those as we were writing our, our pieces. Mm. Um, So the first step that you got to do that I made, I I ended up doing was making coffee for everybody else. And I, (laughs) I was terrible at making coffee. So she quickly moved me into other things. So that's the key. If you want to, if you want to like move up in the business, make terrible coffee. Here you go. It's a, it's some mud. (laughs) Literally just a mug full of mud. (laughs) Give me a raise. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And um, so the next thing she had me do was um, orchestrating for her. And so that uh, she writes absolutely complete sketches. There's every single note that the orchestra is playing is in this kind of reduced format. And then the orchestrator's job is to copy that out into a complete score that the copyist can make the sheet music from and you can conduct from on the podium. And uh, the episode that I did that on was Baby Doll. Oh, cool. I actually just talked to Paul Dini about that. Uh Uh-huh.
0: That's cool. So that was the very first one that you worked and on? Yeah, that I worked on as an orchestrator. Oh, that's a really fun episode it, too. It was. And the music it, is in particular very different from the rest of the animated series.
3: It, it was. In fact, it um, the mandate of the series was that it be kind of like an old 1950s sitcom to capture Baby Doll's, you know, young life. Yeah, what instrumentation what like it, like has like... Yes. It
0: was a, well, a xylophone. Okay. I, I, and, I know that little about music that I can't even tell you what a xylophone sounds like.
2: No, It was a great description, uh, like audio description you gave. Oh, well, yeah, you know.
0: yeah. I'm, I'm well. If anybody just wants me to do the score for things vocally, it'll sound terrible.
3: <laughs> but it's obvious that you know it. I'm yes, kidding. oh, yes. I can tell it's like playing in your head. That's well, I've bought
0: is. all the La La Land releases that they've had thus far, which... <laughs> I think we plugged this in like Lolita's interview as well, but like they're amazing. They're really, really great. They have like every track, every piece of music at least so far that they've released has been
3: amazing, and it's very comprehensive and yeah. listen to it. Car stuff. Yeah, there are good liner notes yeah, inside. Really cool. Yeah, La La Land is committed to really, uh, really producing something that's, that's durable and of quality and kind of in depth for yeah. the project. And I mean, the, everyone at that company are—they're all soundtrack aficionados and so they're you know they want to put out stuff that they want to listen to mm-hmm. and um, their commitment to doing all the dc animated scores has just been phenomenal it's and so cool well it's cuz i've wanted that music for years and <laughs> like it finally yes. when the first volume of batman came out i was like yes <laughs> this is what i wanted <laughs> yeah no they they and they like i said they're they're committed to doing as many as they can so there there's stuff that's being contemplated and that we can't talk about yet, but it's coming. I want
0: a coffee table book compiling all of the liner notes from the CD release. I mean, I know obviously the incentive to get them is to have those, but I like I want it all in one place. Uh, maybe release it with like a vinyl version of it or cassette. Yeah, there
3: you go. That's a great idea. You go, yeah. uh, anyway, you, I interrupted you in well, the middle, frustrating, and because at this point um, they were nearing the end of their episode order, um, Shirley might have had me do more but as, as an orchestrator before she moved me into writing but uh she was running out of shows that i could she could try me out on so um she actually had me split a show writing with uh, brian langsbard and we did lock up
0: oh cool yeah it's another like kind of like third season i don't know how the seasons were divvied up but it was a later
3: episode before the style changed or visual the visual style yeah absolutely and um I mean obviously I had a lot of experience on the podium with the student orchestra but I think that that coming out and stepping in front of a studio orchestra of these phenomenal you know world class musicians and I actually had quite long hair at the time and it was back in a ponytail and I could see <laughs> on, written on every musician's forehead was oh get this young guy off the podium <laughs> How oh, old, what is this? So how old were you? I, when I you was 21. At Jeez. Uh, well, no, I was 20. I'm sorry, 22. I was 22 oh, at that point. Fine. You're right. Yeah, never mind. You were an old, old man. <laughs> <laughs> but to them, there was a lot of there was some skepticism. And then we did the first cue. And then I know that when I gave the, the first cutoff... And I looked around, and uh, I could see that everyone was smiling. And I said, "Oh, okay, this this guy knows what he's doing." That's and, comforting. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, and it was it was very reassuring because I, I was definitely feeling a little intimidated being in front of just these amazing players. Sure. Where did you record? But, um, that we did most of the shows at Paramount Studios. Oh, okay. Uh, they had a. Uh, it was called Stage M, and unfortunately, it doesn't exist anymore. They they tore mm-hmm. it down, mm-hmm. um, and we were very very sad about that. Uh, in fact, one of the last sessions that we did there was the main theme to Legion of Superheroes. Oh, cool. And um, at that point, they were kind of starting to pack stuff up in the studio. Uh, but w- we recorded so many great scores there. And it was a perfect size because it was a medium-sized room for a medium-sized orchestra. And so it was just a perfect fit, and the sound was always phenomenal.
0: Oh. Mm. It's been sentimental, like, as you were doing that final. <laughs> Where do you record now for...
3: um. It kind of depends on what we're doing. If we have a full orchestra, a lot of times it's at uh, Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a fantastic stage. Um, there's not a lot of rooms left, unfortunately. I think it's kind of a, a sad thing that there's not as much scoring, live scoring with orchestras going on in, in uh, Los Angeles right now. So it is very difficult to keep these rooms open. And so I know we're always trying to... Find find opportunities you know to sit down with producers and say hey these stages are they're here let's use them let's record with the best musicians in the world yeah and uh, so that we we're, we definitely try to do that when we can it feels like yeah. what was so great about the show
0: is like in every aspect it, it felt very collaborative and it was let's get as many people in the same room as possible whether you're doing the voice records which also doesn't happen as much they'll end of it you know like you can hear the difference with that and it sounds like musically is it, it's a similar story it just feels yes. like getting everybody there, there's something, I don't know, I mean, even, like, the energy of it just feels better, and, and it, transla- it, like, supports the episode that much more.
2: Yes. Yeah. I felt like I felt that as a kid, uh, but I couldn't process what, like, the good parts, or where it was coming from, but now, like, looking back on it and knowing, like, there was a real orchestra assembled every time, and people were in the same room talking, yeah, it feels really nice that it holds up. Um, there's not many shows like that from my childhood that, Mm-mm. like, Hold up the same way no, that I think
0: well, a lot of those Warner Brothers shows at the time I feel yeah. like were the
2: only ones doing
0: I mean They're maybe correct me if I'm thing. wrong you probably know better but I feel like like the Animaniacs like even like the, the comedy shows as well as the superhero shows felt like there was like a certain era where they were doing that all the time and it raised the bar
3: yes there were and that uh, that was coming a lot from the the, the, high, the top brass at Warner Animation Gene McCurdy who was the president of Warner Animation at that point um that that was her mandate. She said, go out and make great shows, and we're going to support you financially. And, and um, there were pretty much two camps. There was the animated superhero camp, which was Batman, and then later Superman, and moving onward. And then mm-hmm. the comedy with Animaniacs. And it was a whole separate set of composers, too. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Uh, originally, uh, uh, I think the, the main composer that we think of from the Animaniacs era was uh, Rich Stone, and he had a lot of people that worked with him, and then yeah. Shirley was heading up. The superhero side. Did you ever cross over or it was very much separate? Um, we we were so busy with the shows that we had there wasn't really even the time well especially when they started
0: piling up i feel like superman and batman beyond and all of that started to overlap a little bit at the end like the new batman adventures and superman was happening and yes so i imagine it was just like (laughs) way more work
3: yeah i mean well by the time batman beyond happened that was the only superhero show they were doing but yes superman and new batman were all happening at the same time and it was (sighs) it was very very busy well, but yeah, but a testament to Shirley and the way she managed it, because she um, she kept it all going. And I don't know, just I mean, all of us that had this incredible privilege to work on that show, we're just so grateful to her letting us kind of spread our wings and get some experience. And and um, she really really brought together an amazing team that I'm just in such awe awe of. I'm I've only heard great things about her.
0: I, I'm being a person who did not know her at all personally. It was, uh, when when she passed away, it was very... It, like, hit me hard. Uh, And, like, because I grew up seeing her name on this. And, like, I don't know. I feel like there are a lot of, like, celebrities that, you know, people are affected by. But for me, it was, like, very... Like, Shirley Walker was, like, a big part of my childhood. Like, seeing her name, hearing her music and the people she influenced. Like, it was... uh, It it, it was very sad. Um, But there's some great... Keep plugging this la la land stuff, but like, there's some great <laughs> tracks, like kind of like behind the y sort of, you know, like demoy kind of tracks where you hear her talking to the orchestra, and it's like, oh, this is so cool. So as a nerd, listen to it, you guys.
3: <laughs> there's the there's the wonderful uh, bonus track. Was it on the first disc where she talks about the theme? It was yes. The presentation yeah, yeah. that she had made for the producers, showing all the things you can do with the theme, and it, it's it's just mind blowing how she thought of this very short little piece of music and then all the different ways you can do it and the way that she kind of plays through it and talked it talked it through and you know what a great way to get the producers hooked on the material that she's created yeah it's so cool
0: yeah all right we'll be right back with more interviews soon and really dig into chris carter's take on catwalk but first i just want to check in on ghost witch how's it going you find anything Ooh,
1: nope but will this help It's a knife. Uh, nope. Oh, I have one plate from a set of, like, 12. Nope. A used paper napkin. It doesn't look too bad. Who wants a
0: used napkin?
1: An old wheelchair with no wheels. So I guess a chair. Yeah, no. (sighs) Okay, kill some more time. I don't know, go to a commercial or something.
0: Okay, well, guys, normally I do a regular commercial, but... In lieu of that, here's a song by today's fan, Casey Trela, his band Hi Ho Silvero. I know I usually do something sillier, but fuck it. His music is great and you should give it a listen. So this is Hi Ho Silvero's What Am I Doing?
2: stop <laughs> outside my house, dance around fires that I start. When I leave, I leave fires behind me.
0: Catwalk. Catwalk is the episode... It was the first one that you scored yourself? Yes, solo. Uh Uh, So, I think it's a great episode in general. Uh, It's one of those that I always forget about. I don't know why. I feel like people remember, you know, like a lot of the villain origin stories. Uh, This is like a Catwoman Scarface team-up, which ended up being it's like a really high quality episode it was written by Paul Dini yes which all of his episodes are usually really great Mm -hmm. Uh, and the animation was really good on it too like I think it had everything
2: going for it yeah all the way through the animation felt really like like they really took time on scenes where there wasn't like much happening like it was just Catwoman flipping around in a museum, but it just looks beautiful. And, like, it feels really patient. And, yeah. That whole Catwoman
0: opening sequence where it's kind of her, it's sort of like a flashback, but it's, like, beautifully animated. It's, like, one of the best Catwoman sequences in the show. And I'm like, oh, this is in this episode? (laughs) Yeah. I feel like they use that as publicity. (laughs) Like, they would, you know, cut that up. Uh, that,
2: That scene in particular must have been, like, a musical challenge a little bit because there's no like diegetic sound happening it's just her talking and music kind of filling in all the effects and everything
3: it's interesting that is a uh, decision they made at the final sound mix oh wow because really it wasn't even discussed as being kind of a music moment mm-hmm. um but bruce tim liked the way that it sounded with just the music and the voices so much they so told the sound guy take it all out i love it wow. and uh, i was actually a little you know i was kind of a Embarrassed and shocked because it was the first thing of mine that he had heard, <laughs> oh, wow. basically. And uh, it was it was really exciting that he wanted to feature it in that way. Um, yeah, it's so cool because he, um, I, I know that you know Shirley obviously would vet the people that she was going to bring onto the show. But then after they wrote something, and she was very uh, meticulous about reviewing sketches and making sure that it would kind of pass her, you know, she could put her seal of approval on it. But then it still had to go to the producers and have them react to it for the first time. And I, I know that sometimes the producers would say, I don't think this is the best match for our series and other people. Great. Let's keep, you know, let's have more. Mm-hmm. So that, that definitely that first episode, which of that was kind of, there was kind of nerve wracking of what's he going to think of it. Yeah. There's a lot of riding on it at this point. And, um, and yeah, he, he responded very favorably to it. So. And he's also not a guy who, he seems from
0: what I've heard, like a very, he's not afraid to kind of say when he doesn't like something or at least sure. like uh, he's a very particular person. So like, he and Shirley seemed like they are like, no, quality is still, like, the most important. Absolutely. So the fact that, like, you know, you make it past these, <laughs> I don't know, these hurdles along the way is really cool that you got to, like, learn on the
3: job. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it, there was definitely an expectation of, you know, this isn't, this isn't school anymore. There's the expectation of you got to be a pro and you got to do your thing. But we understand you're a new professional, so, but you st- we're still, ha- the expectations were still very high. You know, and and yes, I mean, I I do think that the Bruce has very particular ideas about what he wants, and that's great. That's what makes his show so vibrant. Yeah, is that he's very bold in his in his choices, and uh, he doesn't, you know, there's not there's no wishy washyness there at all.
0: Specificity
3: will always yield, I think, like a better result. The the story is about Catwoman. Mm-hmm. It's about her, you know, her temptation to be who she really is, and of course, at the end of the show, spoilers. <laughs> we know that she has to be she has to be Catwoman yeah and the fact that um Scarface kind of helps pull that out of her is not as important to the story as just the, the the decisions that she's faced with and what she has to do and I think that's why musically we focused more on on her and her you know her character
0: yeah will you talk a little bit about her her theme and like how how the, the sound of Catwoman in an episode um or how you
3: went about scoring it I I think that it was it was about incorporating you know Shirley's broad vision for it. So Shirley was the one that kind of said Catwoman needs to be, you know, she's seductive, she's kind of slinky, she's um, she's she really wants to kind of uh, appeal to you in a way, so that she can then take advantage of you in a way, and you know. Um, Which is what Catwoman does in this episode. Yeah. And so that, I think that, that all of those things are, are reflected in the music because you have to uh, you have to, to feel that sense of her you know her her, um, her I'm blanking right now, but you, you have to feel that the sense of, of, of her seduction it's a seduction that she you know she puts over on on people and, yeah, and it feels like the music's even like
0: enticing you to come yes. closer like turning corners and it's like, what's over here yeah,
3: yeah.
2: and um, Seem like there's always something like diabolical kind of poking in to like there'd uh-huh. just be a loud blast of horns kinda of while there's that like slinky music happening. Just every once in a while, just like this little siren kind of telling you like something's wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: And I think that um I mean, what's interesting about Batman the Animated Series as opposed to later series is that it actually was quite s- sparse. Um we're working on Marvel's Avengers Assemble right now, we being myself and Michael McQuistian, the leader at Monas, my partners. Um it's actually wall to wall. There's music from the mo- from opening frame all the way to the oh, end. Oh wow! And it's surprising to go back and watch Batman the animated series, where there's maybe only twelve minutes in a twenty-two minute twelve minutes of music in a twenty-two minute episode. Right. And um, it's it's such an interesting difference in how the music functions because in Avengers, of course, we're just like go go go. Is it just driving the action? Absolutely, because the, the way those shows are designed is action. But mm-hmm. I think also a lot of the way Batman the animated series worked is that it doesn't have you know. There's there's time for atmosphere. There's time for mood. There's time for things that kind of unfold, as you were saying, in kind of a careful way, hmm. uh, n- not careful, but just not rushed. You right, know? Yeah. deliberate and taking more of a breath. And so mm. the music, where we had it, um, is really the most important parts of the story that the music can help out. Um, you know, I, th- I think that uh, there's still the, the the pull between the sound, the sound effects, and the music. And when we had that big buzz saw. It's, you know, it's threatening, of course, you can't really compete with that. In yet. the finale, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a buzzsaw. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But before that, it's, it, you know, it, it, there wasn't a lot of, you know, gunshots or explosions or other things, so the music could really tell the story and without having to compete, and that was really nice. Yeah, it's
0: really cool. I mean, I think, what I do love about the series are the quiet moments, too. Like, they, they were able to, and it happens, it helps the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, like, I know that it was a decision that whenever we were in the Batcave, it's this kind of like hollow, like the sound, you know, it's like this room tone, this echoey kind of cave. There's usually no music in there, uh, which is really cool. I think probably when there was a fight, like over the edge, there's like a fight scene in the Bat Cave and they definitely score that. But for the most part, when you're in there and he's doing detective work, it's just kind of this echoey place and it's Batman yeah. and Alfred kind of right, <laughs> yeah. talking to each other with nothing behind them, maybe some beeps from the Bat yeah. computer, And it's just like each space had like a sound to it, which was really cool.
2: Yeah.
3: I think one of the things that was interesting about uh, about uh, Catwalk is that Catwoman is so often in control with her seduction, but she's really not because she's in love with Batman, but doesn't realize that Bruce Wayne is the same person. And so yeah. when Selina and Bruce are at this party with Veronica Vreeland, yeah, um, I mean he's looking out for her because he cares about her, but she has no clue that he's actually in control as Batman. Yeah, you know, so I, I love that. Uh, there's kind of a a double double cross going on where she always feels like she's in control, but she's actually not as in control as she thought she was. And that's the entire, why yeah, I yeah. think she was shocked that Batman really knows what's going on when he approaches her in her apartment after she, uh, after she d- tries to steal the, the jewels. Um, yeah. I think there's a, something going on in the back of her head. that's like, wow, how's he always one yeah. step ahead of me? It seems like she's yeah. getting
0: double crossed by everybody. Kind, of. yeah. I mean, like she has the ska- Scarface is doing it to her and, yeah. uh, yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's so fun. Like how they they really like Catwoman's complexity is really interesting as a character, and it's she's revisited more than most other you know villains because I think there's that relationship with Bruce Wayne, and that's what I like about her characters. She's one of the few characters that brings Batman out of the cowl. Uh huh. Uh, We get to see the other side of him and like a real side of him. I feel like there's fake Bruce Wayne who's like trying to appease socialites like Veronica Vreeland, but. Then there's this part of him that like really does care, and he's doing his best, and he's playing a role, but he really does care about Selena. And there's I love that double, yeah. kind of that double. Well, you know, you finish the sentence.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you get it. How messed up yeah. is the carrot? This character of Scarface. Oh. I, mean, uh, I just love. I just love that you really can't tell. If he's a figment of the ventriloquist's mind, yeah, or if he's actually his own thing,
2: yeah. There's like a few key <laughs> moments where it, it broke a little bit for me. I was like, I'm not sure if he's in control of him or if he's just like a real dude who's sort of paralyzed or something. <laughs> just because like enchanted,
3: you know, a dummy or something. Yeah,
2: yeah. Because there's a couple of times when ventroclus' hands are both like moving around the guy's hands, like uh, he, pushes, he pushes a button on uh, with Scarfin. <laughs> yeah. He does a lot of that, which feels really silly. Um, but uh, all the while, like Scarface is talking and his mouth is moving. So I'm like, how oh, is his mouth moving if both hands are on Scarface's oh, hands? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. little things like that. and
0: That's what I love voice. about the ventriloquist, is yeah. like, you know, he is that trap. Like, there's the, you sympathize for Wesker. Arnold Wesker is the name of the guy. and But, like, at the we same time. What? Uh, we know, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Just, like, yeah? Just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> uh, but there is that, like, supernatural element to him. And I think yeah, they play yeah. that up. Even more so in the new Batman Adventures, there's an episode called Double Talk where like Scarface's henchmen try to bring Wesker back into it because they miss kind of the Scarface, even though he's like kind of reformed. Right, I, I, Wesker has one of the only like happy endings at the end of his like that. At the end of that episode, he actually like meets somebody is living happily, and Batman helps him, but. In every one of his episodes, there's always, like, a, horror, a grisly death for the Scarface because they could get away with it because he's yeah. a puppet, and the ventriloquist crying.
3: <laughs> yes. It's so sad. Every time. Yeah, I, you actually, I was, I was going to mention that, that because they, you know, it was a, a show designed for kids and the ratings board was very uh, very hard about any kind of violence or death. That's why when somebody falls and it's, you know, ten stories, they have to kind of go... Yeah. you know they have to <laughs> have a groan or something yeah. so they're still alive it's okay yeah. so because the patrulloch's dummy is just a dummy they just went all out yeah <laughs> I love every it. single episode Kept we gotta stuff. let yeah. him have it
0: yeah they really do in this one there's even a moment where like Wesker stops it just in time the buzzsaw from yeah. killing him and then it's like nope <laughs> right yeah. Drop a bunch of logs on top of him. And Catwoman's pretty, pretty like she's like, I know that he's somewhere inside
2: of you. Like she's gonna rip him apart. Yeah, (laughs) she's pretty cold at the end. Yeah, she is. And I don't know why she got tricked in the first place. Like Scarface is trying to get her to steal some jewels, but it feels like she could have pulled off that job on her own.
0: Well, I think it's like she just needed it's like using it as an excuse like it's already yeah, inside yeah. of her. So he, she's like, "All right, this is a good enough reason for me to do this." Like she's kind of bored. Yeah, she just wants to get going. So sometimes all you need There's is somebody from the outside to kind of indulge you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, it's so fun. It's such like an unusual team up for the series. Like I never would have guessed like there would be a Catwoman Scarface episode.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh I love that there's that set piece inside of the museum is really or the natural history museum is really cool. Yeah. I think, like, what she has some line where, like, a guard finds her, excuse me, like, could you help me up? Like, a dinosaur
2: fell off. Like <laughs> yeah, I love that the security guard is one of my favorite characters. Just that his job, when he's first introduced, is walking through the museum at night, just making sure that the exhibits are there. <laughs> like, he's like, a uh, bear... Check, Check. (laughs) yeah, yeah, just like that. That's been a big problem for them. I mean, it's Gotham. There must be a bear themed villain. Everybody's trying to steal different things. Well, this, yeah, this night was like his worst nightmare because (laughs) exhibits actually do get stolen. Uh, Yeah, which is his only job is to make sure they don't. I mean, if you think about those archaeologists, they must have been real upset that that brontosaurus (laughs) crumbled. Yeah, that's years of painstaking work followed by that huge whale that just falls from the ceiling. Yeah, rough night. Rough night. <laughs> rough night, rough night, night for <laughs> a rough night at the museum is the <laughs> yeah, alternate title for right. this. Yeah. Um, well,
0: what else do you have? Like, what else went into making this and scoring the episode? Um,
3: I think one of the things that I wanted to try was kind of some unusual sounds, and like the opening theme before the flashback begins. I had kind of a, my own introduction theme. It's not Catwoman's theme, but it's just my own introduction theme. I actually had played on both an what's called an alto flute. And a bassoon playing in octaves, playing close to each other but not quite the same note, and um, that theme ended up kind of tracing through a lot of different versions throughout some of the action music and during the part with the uh, the whale. Yeah. Um, actually, it's playing in like the tuba and the low brass, and, oh, cool. and so it's all about it's all about exploring ways to have Catwoman's theme appear. And, yeah. And at the end, we return to that exact same music as the beginning. And for me, that was kind of, you know, she's gone off to be Catwoman again. You can't s- stop her. Mm. And so in a way, I'm actually foreshadowing that all the way from the very beginning. You know where we're going to go. Oh, that's mm. so cool. Yeah. But you don't realize it until you hear, hear the end and have that connection. Uh,
0: yeah. You, I mean, weird. like, the, the, again, just another reason why the music was instrumental to, pun not intended, but I'll take it, uh, <laughs> instrumental to, like, you know, good storytelling. I feel like story above all was kind of the rule of Batman, the animated series mm-hmm. and everybody was supporting that for like, it seems I keep saying it, but it feels like such a natural and good collaboration, which is like instrumental. And I keep saying that, uh, in, in any good show, uh, or any good piece of art that's, you know, like, like television or a film, but like, it really all came together. Like, that's so cool that you were supporting that, and if you like really listen for it, it's there.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, story was paramount to Shirley's uh, whole process, and that's something I, I, that she taught me from the very beginning. Is that you know they've got all these action and explosions and fighting, and the question she kind of t- I watched her ask, which I try to ask now myself, is you know what's really going on here? What is the story? What does the music have to say? Because you know if you've got fighting and you've got explosions, that's already on the screen you know the music doesn't doesn't have to necessarily say that but if there's you know what is the main character feeling is he fighting because he's feeling rage that something happened something terrible happened and he's trying to avenge somebody's death the music needs to be about the rage mm-hmm. it doesn't need to just be about the fighting and the action right and um, so that again was just always always start there what what's really going on here what is the story and what does the music have to 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 tell
0: yeah, and I imagine you took that. I mean, like, you've worked on so many shows since then. Like, what was the difference between working on Batman versus Superman and Batman Beyond, which is its own animal, uh, as well as Justice League and Unlimited
3: and, and beyond that? Um, one of the big differences, uh, the biggest difference, I think, is just more the, the sound that you establish for a show because Superman as a character is much brighter. You know, mm-hmm. his show has had a lot more uh, bright colors, there's a lot more daytime. And I think the orchestration reflected that. It's, it's a brighter sound in the same same way. Um, it still is about the story. It still is about what is what emotions does the music have to support. So in that way, the process really isn't all that different. It's more about painting a different sonic picture that goes along with the visuals that you're seeing on screen. So Superman was brighter. Batman Beyond was, for lack of a better word, futuristic, but that meant you know edgy and techno and mm-hmm. the way that we kind of combined... You know, uh, those types of instruments, but we're still telling a story. We're still using them in a very symphonic fashion. Mm -hmm. And um, even coming all the way forward to Young Justice, Young Justice was completely different in the sense that it was more sound design. It was atmospheres and um, uh, tribal drums and kind of angry synths, but not in the same way that that, uh, Batman Beyond was. But it, it feels still, like teenagers, you know, like. Well, it does, but also it it uh it, it is, but it, it, again not in a bad way. <laughs> I not, mean, at all, like, <laughs> not at all. Not uh, Because you're right, it is a, a show about teenagers. Yeah. And um, but that's what we needed to 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 do was still tell the story. So rather than having a theme that you could hum for somebody, like the the, the light, mm-hmm. we would have a certain synthetic sound. And so whenever it's something about the light, it's we would play that exactly exact sound oh, that's cool so it's still a, it's just like a little cue even if it's in the back of your head as you're watching you're like ah it's a certain kind of sparkly tinkly atmosphere it doesn't have a pitch mm. to it yeah and it's not a melody that you could hum in, even in the slightest but it, it it was repeated each time and it's again it's all about the storytelling
0: mm-hmm. do you have any favorite scores that you've composed um or episodes i guess I know, this is a broad question. <laughs>
2: which
3: of your children is your favorite <laughs> um, I think the politically correct answer is whichever one I'm working on right now. <laughs> yeah. um,
0: or I mean, in the past, I guess. Uh, you did a lot of work on Justice League Unlimited. Uh, yes. Uh, which I think is... An excellent show that sounds very different. It was like more like
3: rock and roll. Like, <laughs> well, we had done Justice League first, uh-huh. and then when they rebranded the show as Unlimited, um, it was, this actually came from Bruce Tim. He said, "I want to try something a little, a little different." Um, he he often talked about you know uh, Kiss and Queen and those types of yeah. you know, classic rock. He's like, "Wouldn't it be cool if we could bring this classic rock sound in with the orchestra?" And that's hmm. why Justice League Unlimited. Kind of went that direction, and uh, you know the theme song that Michael McQuistian wrote, yeah, which I'm just such a fan of. It incorporated those elements. Yeah, it's really cool, and he got yeah. an Emmy nomination for that. So <laughs> also <laughs> so very cool, very cool, yeah. and um, and the, so Justice League. I mean, it was still about Batman and Superman, but it had a much broader scope mm-hmm. and felt we, epic. Yeah, and that was one of the things that uh, Bruce had even said even before Unlimited, but just Justice League was. If you're going to have 7 or 10 or 11 or however many superheroes there are, you better give them something that they're all going to have to have their hands full. Because if we've spent all this time doing Superman and Batman where just one hero is basically saving the universe, we need to save – or saving the world, we need to save the universe now. And that's why I think those shows were so much more epic. And the the music had to grow – um, kind of exponentially as a, as a result,
0: too. Yeah, it's insane. Like, it just kept going and going, like, especially that... And then by Unlimited, like, you had that Cadmus arc and mm-hmm. uh, everything. That must have been really cool to work on something that had such a long narrative arc so you could, like, work in, I don't know, different motifs, I
3: imagine. Well, yes, we definitely did. And But Unlimited was also a parroting down, in a way, because uh, Justice League was always uh, pairs of episodes. Right. So they were story arcs that went over two two episodes mm-hmm. each time. So then Unlimited became single story arcs and broadening out into the Cadmus Kind universe.
0: of an anthology show within the universe.
3: And then occasionally, you know, we'd have something that would help further the, the Cadmus story. Yeah. Oh, I'm
0: such a fan there. of that. I love it. <laughs> it's just like some of my favorite like, giddy TV watching was that. That right. was college for me. It was unlimited. I was just like, recording it or honestly like it didn't air it aired internationally first mm-hmm. so like there were ways you could see it online and i was like great i'm gonna watch this horrible version of it and then rewatch like you know whatever the sound is kind of off yeah. and like i was like well i'm I'm like such a fan that i'm watching this at this point you know like <laughs> any way i can like a drug yeah. uh and then when
3: it actually aired i was like oh this is great <laughs> uh well i mean as, as fans of this show I think that it was one of the coolest things of working on these shows is because you get to see them first. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) (laughs) and and even so, like when there's something happening, I would, I would would ask Bruce or like on teen Titans, Glenn Murakami, whoever the producer is, if we're talking with them and something happens, um, it's like, so uh, where's this going? You know, (laughs) (laughs) I need to know for (laughs) work. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, and Sometimes they would tell us and sometimes they would say, you know what, I'm not going to tell you right now. I want you to be as surprised as everybody else when it unfolds.
0: That's so cool. And i have to say,
3: okay, fair enough.
0: (laughs) All right, well, you got me. (laughs) (laughs) Casey, how were you influenced by Batman the Animated
2: Series? Um, I think like I said before, maybe just like having shows around like that to take in, I'm sure influenced me subliminally a lot, just seeing something of that high of a quality um and also the darkness of it um i've felt uh really interesting and really nice um uh i'm trying to think of how it influenced me musically um i think it gave me a respect for uh yeah creating live sounds um which is what i try to do now
0: yeah um, on your most recent album on hi ho's uh, when you Traveled <laughs> and worked with a kids' orchestra, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. We, um, I flew back to North Carolina, and one of my friends has become a uh, high school band instructor since uh, since we left high school. And he just let me know, like, if you ever need a high school band to play on a song, just let me know. And so he, yeah, orchestrated this whole. Uh, set up and we got like 17 kids into a recording studio and just recorded a marching band on a song. That's is, so cool. It's really fun. <laughs> fun. Yeah. it's. Yeah. Sound, I mean, it's sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. yeah. And yeah, it feels really good too. Like you were saying, you just get an energy and uh, an air from live players in a room um, that you can't get um, through MIDI or synthesizers uh, the same way. Um, so yeah, it definitely like has put a respect uh, for that kind of uh, system uh in in me um when i make music and uh but also i think i'd like to hear you talk about too like how things evolved for you because that seemed like it was a time when technology was evolving a lot for both recording and for playing music and um just since you had that respect for live music but um everything was kind of changing and shifting too and uh maybe just how that affected how the changing technology affected how you made music, and um, what uh, kind of sensibilities you tried to force into different uh, different technologies as they came about.
3: Oh, it absolutely was changing over the course of things. I, I um, came when I started the, my career, we were doing everything completely live, mm-hmm. and then as as shows have changed, and unfortunately budgets have sometimes shrunk. There's not yeah. always the financial flexibility. Have a complete full orchestra. So you have to end up doing some or if not all of the episode, uh what we call it in the box, where it's all being produced by synthesizers and samplers. And um it was a conscious decision that Michael and Lolita and I had to make to of you know several years ago, the business is changing, Mm -hmm. we want to continue to work. So we gotta gear up and learn that aspect of it. Sure. Um but I think what we brought to it is once we invested in all, all the hardware and we have these racks of synths and samplers is that we're still trying to write music for an orchestra. Mm. Because if you have an idea of what you know a real violin section is going to be playing and you write music that would sound good on a real violin section, it actually makes a big difference when you're using samples. Yeah. Um, that way, you know, it's we're still writing for an orchestra even though then we have to not only write it, we have to go back and perform it on the, the keyboards as such. Mm. But we're still thinking orchestrally. We're still trying to bring that same level of expression and playability to each part yeah. to what we have to do with the synthesizers. But yeah. it's... it's um, I mean, it's, it's really unheard of at this point for any score, I think, to not at least have some uh, part of steps in the computer because you have sure. to do what are called uh, previews or mock-ups. You have mm-hmm. to create the score. Even if you're going to record with an orchestra, the producers want to hear the music and be able to react to it and comment on it before uh, you hire the orchestra. And so mm-hmm. then you have to... Uh, create a synthesized version of it anyway Mm -hmm.
2: yeah and it's cool to hear i feel like i've heard it in avengers a little bit um i watch that at work a lot so i uh, do quality control on avengers and uh watch a lot of the episodes but uh i've heard some it's cool to hear the basis of um good orchestration and then also mixing in some newer elements like some synth and some uh, electronic drums and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. uh Having those come together and having a good sensibility of both to fuse to together,
3: the Avengers has been fun because they, they Marvel is so uh, pays such such attention to their storytelling in all their different media, and they want there to be a correspondence between the cartoon mm-hmm. and the movie and the TV shows. Right, um, and so while we don't have to recreate the scores from the movies, we can bring over some of those elements. And I know that the yeah. um, you know it's having a pounding synth bass or these kind of cool drum ensembles along with the traditional orchestra Mm -hmm. that's something we've been having fun exploring to kind of add some of the flavor from the movies to it. Yeah.
0: That's cool. That's so cool.
3: Well, anything else we want to talk about in terms of
0: catwalk or anything you wanted to bring up before we Um, wrapped
3: up? I think, um, I, I catwalk just, it really blew my mind. It was my, my first chance to kind of participate in this great thing that was Batman the Animated Series, and uh, I just have, again, such gratitude to Shirley for letting me join the team and being a part of that. Um, Fortunately, uh, there were other shows that we worked on. We went on to Superman and and Batman Beyond, and and, um, it was a real privilege to continue to be on her team. And then once she uh, more or less stepped away from the animated TV to work on features, uh, for Michael and Alita and I to continue working on all those shows. It's just been really, really amazing. It's just these shows are everybody that's worked in every different department the voice actors, the directors, the artists they're all just so amazingly talented. And, and animation, almost more than any other filmmaking kind of endeavor, is, is so collaborative. You really have to do your part with everybody else's oh, yeah. part. And, um, just getting you know, getting to see everybody—all these amazing people that are so talented in all these different areas—come together and create these little works of art. It was really, really fun. Oh,
2: it's so cool, Yeah. Casey, trying um, to think.
0: I know there were some literary references we did not
2: yeah. go over. <laughs> that was cool. There's like a couple literary references where Catwoman keeps talking about how she's the cat that walks by herself, which is a reference to a Kipling short story, like a folk tale about why. Like the relationship between humans and cats, uh, mm-hmm. and how that came about, which is kind of fun. I just read through that before I came.
0: Yeah, I never knew
2: that. Yeah. I know the lady or the tiger reference I got. Yeah, the lady and the tiger, the lady or the tiger reference was cool too. I just looked that up uh, before I came over. And... Gosh, for all the Kipling
3: that I've read, I didn't make that connection.
2: No, no. I uh, <laughs> read it on a Batman the animated series Wikipedia, also, <laughs> so I'm not uh, that intelligent. <laughs>
3: I just am good at looking stuff up after I see it. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I, I actually did not know that, so that, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's cool to learn something. Yeah. At, um, but hey, Paul yeah. Dini.
0: Yeah. Dini! my God, it was great. Well, cool, guys. Thank you so
3: much for sitting down with me. Well, it's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah. yeah
2: thanks so much. It was fun.
0: Alright, well there you go. We talked catwalk. Hey Ghostwitch, do you have that uh golden XLR or what?
1: Oh yeah, I certainly do not I do not have it. Sorry I built it up making you think I did. Um what is it you wanted again?
0: The Golden XLR. I just said it. Oh
1: yeah, I don't even know what that is. But
0: I need it. I mean I'm on PodQuest Cast Part Two conquest cast part two.
1: Uh, yeah, okay. I'm sorry. All right. I am the ghost of a sandwich. I'm surprised I've been able to do as much as I have. I don't even have legs or eyes or a mouth or a head or a torso or a butt to go poo poo from. I don't have any of that. I am the ghost of of a sourdough sandwich, and not even a really great one. It was one of those where you get it from a gas station. So I was a sandwich that would probably give you diarrhea.
0: <sighs> All right, well, thanks anyway. I guess Mike Rafina was wrong to send me here.
1: Oh, wait, I remember. This dirty little troll with a flamethrower came through here not too long ago and got rid of it. Riddler. ha. <laughs> How about that for a dumb sandwich? Woo.
0: Anything you could give me on the way out that you got lying around that might help me on my quest?
1: Oh yeah, I got this rental car coupon. Huh? It's a good deal. You might say it's a steal. <laughs>
0: so that's pretty good. How do I get there?
1: All right, so what you're going to do is you're going to leave this cave and you're going to take a right and then you're going to merge onto the I5. You're going to you're going to take that and then you're going to you're going to get on um that road to which i can't remember the name of it but there's a brewery on it so look for that brewery and then go down hey thanks and, for listening guys please rate the show and subscribe on
0: itunes it means a lot uh it really helps us get the podcast out there share it around Follow the show on Twitter at BTAS Podcast and myself at Hey Justin. You can email me at BTAS Podcast at gmail.com and find more at www.btaspodcast.com. Uh, the show's on Stitcher and SoundCloud if you're not already listening to it on that and want to. Uh, and remember, go to the DC Collectibles panel Thursday morning this week at San Diego Comic Con. I can't say what you're going to see, but I'm real excited to share what I got to work on. Batman The Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast, and Betsy Sidaro guest starred as Ghost Witch, the talking ghost sandwich. A huge thanks to my guests, Casey Trela and Chris Carter. Lastly, thank you to This American Life producer, Tori Malatia, who I actually ran into at the opening of Jurassic Park and he asked, Could
3: you please give me a hand? This dinosaur seems to have fallen on me.
0: Of course, Tori, who do you think I am, a monster? I'm no Veronica Breland. See you guys in a couple of weeks for another episode of BTAP, and of course, the third thrilling installment of PODQUEST
3: CAST!